everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo, I'm the author of the film review website Quipster.net. I invite you to check out all of my written work, over 4,000 reviews to read anytime at Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to remind you that I do a film review podcast that covers brand new movies out in theaters. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just search for it wherever you're listening to this right now and you'll find it. Today we're going to be continuing on with the Nightmare on Elm Street series. We're up to part four this time, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. It came out in 1988. As with all of the others, it's an R-rated film. It does have gore, strong violence, nudity, and language. The runtime is an hour and 33 minutes. The cast includes Lisa Wilcox, Robert Englund, of course, Tuesday Night, Rodney Eastman, Danny Hassel, Ken Sagos, Toy Newkirk, and Brooke Tice. The director is Rennie Harlan this time. The screenplay is credited to Brian Helgeland and Scott Pierce. Now, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4 starts off in a pretty silly mode. You have Freddy's bones beginning to reconstitute themselves after a dog defiles his burial ground. That dog, coincidentally, is named Jason, kind of a tongue-in-cheek homage to the rival Friday the 13th series there. It results in Freddy immediately coming back from the dead in order to stalk another day, and from there... He aims to take revenge on the three surviving teenagers from his last go-round. Kristen, who is here played by Tuesday Night. She's replacing Patricia Arquette, who played that character in the prior entry, Dream Warriors. Joey, played by Rodney Eastman, and Kincaid, played by Ken Sagos. He plans to get rid of all of those before eventually moving on to new classmates' souls to snatch in a vicious fashion. Now, as far as this film goes, after three relatively unique and divergent entries in the Nightmare and Elm Street series, the Dream Master, as I'll call it from here on out, it represents the first of the films that really fully embraces being a formula film for the series. There is one unique aspect that's introduced, and that's being one where one person is the focal point of Freddy's use who can pull in friends to their deaths while gaining some of their so-called powers as they're dispatched, Beyond that, The Dream Master is the most visually appealing of the Nightmare on Elm Street films up to that point. By leaps and bounds, it has professional lighting, some good quality special effects, and much more emphasis on aesthetic appeal. While it does have that eye-popping appeal, perhaps the film feels a little bit too bright, maybe a little too polished to feel like a horror film much of the time. It plays out like a typical and relatively indistinct teen flick from the late 1980s much of the way. It has horrific interludes where someone is cruelly murdered in a twisted way in between, though, so it is a horror film, but it really is not shot like it much of the time. The teens here are also so annoying in some respects, it may even cause some to end up rooting for Freddy Krueger to succeed in his effort to take out these kids once and for all. Alas, even 
with more emphasis on the production aspects. The rest of the Dream Master, from a storytelling standpoint, feels like a missed opportunity to build upon the ideas that were presented in the prior entry, Dream Warriors. In fact, the first half of the Dream Master only exists to actually undo everything that has occurred in its predecessor in order to take the series into its own direction. The Dream Master here, as I mentioned, is directed by Rennie Harlan. He was a relative unknown at the time. He came from Finland. He would go on to direct some big-budget action films throughout the 1990s. So if you know your action movies of the 1990s, you know the name Rennie Harlan. He directed Die Hard 2. He directed Cliffhanger, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and Deep Blue Sea, all within the 1990s. He lobbied hard for producer Robert Shea to give him his first big break in Hollywood, and Harlan really would have been a natural in making pop-friendly music videos if that were his passion. He's definitely much more comfortable in scenes of action over the scenes of character or dialogue, which, which may make some of the set pieces feel a little bit more electric than typical, but because the characters feel like pieces of cardboard, we don't really have any additional suspense or tension other than to admire the slickness of the presentation here. Now, those set pieces have become a formula at this point, we end up learning of a character flaw or a phobia from each of the teens, and then Freddy exploits those fears with an elaborate nightmare scenario, usually involving a punchline to deliver right when he gets said teen in his fatal trap once and for all. For instance, one kid hates bugs, so Freddy turns her into a bug, a roach that ends up in a so-called roach motel, just for Freddy to utter the line, you can check in, but you can't check out. Now, reportedly, Harlan's original cut of The Dream Master did not really meet very well with the execs at New Line Cinema, who felt that the director was going far too much in the realm of campy humor in his take, more in line with the tone of Freddy's Dead, which was something that they wanted to avoid at this point. And along with the desire to get the runtime close to the 90-minute mark, many of these scenes by Harlan were cut. They were never restored, although there are bits and pieces that you can see if you watch the trailer for the film. A few connective scenes were ordered in order to keep the film intact, though there was a writer strike that was in full swing at the time, so the actors mainly had to improvise in order to get through their scenes, and Harlan, whose English was iffy enough as it was, could really offer little help. Now, as far as Wes Craven goes, where is he? Wes Craven and his collaborative writing partner on Dream Warriors, Bruce Wagner, they had an initial idea of where they wanted the story to go, but the producers felt that it was a little bit too high concept and esoteric for the audience. It involved the use of time travel from within the dream realm. It really was ambitious, so a draft was never really commissioned by New Line from series creator Craven or Wagner. And despite the screenwriting credit here of future Oscar-winning L.A. Confidential and Oscar-nominated Mystic River scribe Brian Helgeland, this was his first feature to be produced, and the dialogue and situations feel no more sophisticated than what you might find within a horror-based comic book. Helgeland had been hired because of England's suggestion. He scripted England's directorial debut, a film called 976 Evil. That was filmed prior to the release of Dream Master, but it wasn't released until 1989 in the United States. Helgeland's script was given a stipulation that he had to 
meet the deadline of one week. He could only spend one week and he had to get in the office one day later. It was just going to be a no-go. And that meant that Helgeland's initial treatment was a bare-bones one that they could use to build upon once production began. Now, after Wes Craven was again offered an opportunity to work on the film, he ended up turning down the offer to rework that initial script by Helgeland. Revisions instead were scripted by Ken and Jim Wheat, writing under their singular pseudonym of Scott Pierce. Ken and Jim Wheat's main claim to fame would eventually be in scripting the first entry in the Riddick franchise called Pitch Black, Although they had a couple of notable but not exactly critically acclaimed efforts that were made for television, they scripted Ewoks Battle for Endor and The Birds to Land's End. It's their kind of comic book dialogue that the Dream Master feels much more in line with, and it's certainly a far cry from the kind of deep characterizations or snappy banter that Helgeland would normally bring to the table, at least henceforth. The Dream Master may not be a step up in terms of overall quality, but I think that few viewers would argue that there's a better and more interesting soundtrack in the series. Drama-rama's Anything, Anything has become an 80s classic. Tuesday Night herself, the star of the film, was also kind of a pop star in the making at the time. She also sings the theme song that plays out over the opening credits called Nightmare or Running From This Nightmare. That would become a bit of a cult song worth seeking out on its own. It was never released on the official soundtrack, although Knight ended up releasing it on CD and you can find it streaming with a variety of different versions, different takes that she had made many years later. The soundtrack also includes songs from popular acts like Billy Idol and Blondie and Sinead O'Connor, that one featuring MC Light. The Fat Boys also deliver a song called Are You Ready For Freddy? That's the rap song that can be heard during the end credits. It also features vocals, a rap basically by Robert Englund has Freddy. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince had originally been slated for that honor of having the rap song in the film. They wrote a song called A Nightmare on My Street for the film. It was rejected and it caused them to eventually release it on their own album called He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper that came out the same year. Although that brought on a copyright infringement lawsuit toward them. And it ended up being settled out of court with this settlement that they never released the music video that they had created for it. And there was going to be a warning label that appeared on the album that disassociated the song from the movie because Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, in order to not pay royalties on it, claimed that it was a parody and therefore subject to parody laws and was allowable for them to steal a lot of the ideas. Getting back to the movie itself and its popularity, the Dream Master would prove to be the most successful movie outside of the novelty of Freddy vs. Jason years later. It was the biggest in the franchise at the box office. It earned slightly more than Dream Warriors by maybe a, a million dollars or two, although to be fair, with a reported $13 million budget, that budget exceeded the budgets of the first three films combined, so you kind of take that into account. It made more money gross, but it didn't necessarily net more money. Now, much of that money was earned within the first three weeks of release. It took the top spot in the United States due to the overall series momentum, especially after Dream Warriors, which had been seen as the pinnacle of where the series could go. People were very excited to take in the Dream Master and see where the storyline was going to take those characters. The film ended up proving so successful that not only was a follow-up immediately ordered, but there was also a TV show spin-off anthology series that was also commissioned. It ended up being on TV. It ran in syndication from October of 1988 until March of 1990. It's called Freddy's Nightmares. Robert England introduced each episode, although Freddy only appeared in a few of the episodes himself within the base of the story. 
And despite its success, and Robert Englund did assert that this film is his favorite in the series, nevertheless, fans were a little bit tepid overall on the Dream Master, at least compared to Dream Warriors, especially because it effectively closes off whatever they had already enjoyed in the stories that emerged from the first and the third entries in order to give us more ways for Freddy to kill new teenagers who had little to do with his vendetta beyond death to snuff out the children of the people who snuffed him out, now, it's not without some nifty ideas, but I think that the direction taken is as uninteresting as the new characters themselves, and it leaves the film only titillating in so much as the nightmares are imaginative and gruesome. In the end, the Dream Master just feels like there were ideas for Freddy's kills. Those were thought of first and foremost, and then a film was built around those dream sequences, and there was really no way to keep this franchise feeling fresh when you're doing it from that aspect. And sadly, the series would only continue to devolve into more of the same after this entry instead of returning to the modest but effective roots that were found within Wes Craven's original vision, yet plots that merely serve up gory moments and characters that were merely fodder for the slaughter. By comparison, The Dream Master is not really a bad entry. I would even argue it's a step above Freddy's Revenge, the second film in the series, but at least it's certainly better than the two films that come after this. Even so, though, I do think that it's hard not to feel like there was an opportunity that was missed in not building upon what came before. Instead, they ended up destroying it, and that is a disappointment because the film series really seemed to be hitting its stride at just the right moment, and this was a step back. So I'm going to give A Nightmare on Elm Street for The Dream Master two and a half stars out of four. Two and a half stars on my scale means that it had the tools, it had the talent to be something a little bit special within the series, much like the first entry and also part three, but it just falls short because of that need to be formulated. It had the checkbox of what it wanted to do. It did it, but it really didn't offer more than that. And given the fact that Dream Warriors was really an intriguing premise that you wanted to see a lot more of, and you could see where things could go from there to devolve back into slasher movie formula, was really only going to be of interest for genre fans. And so a lot of the appeal for the films after this were really just for the people who are hardcore slasher movie fans. It didn't extend beyond that into crossing over into the big mainstream, even though, obviously, Freddy Krueger has become an icon for the era and of horror movies in general. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the review. If you have your own thoughts on A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, you can find my contact information at my website. Quipster.net is where to go. You can also find links to my Twitter feed and Facebook page there where you can get in contact with me any way you slice it, as Freddie might say. As far as next week, obviously, we're going to continue on with the series one year later, 1989. With the Dream Child, A Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is what I'm talking about. So for those of you who want to keep up with the series, some people actually think is one of the better films in the series. We'll see. I haven't seen it for a long, long time, so I don't even remember what happens in that movie. It hasn't stuck with me, so I'll be intrigued to catch up with that for next week. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Music